Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Amen. Once again, I just want to reiterate just very quickly as I'm pulling up my sermon here. Remember, men, tonight, 6 o'clock, have pizza, 6.30 or so, uh, maybe a little bit before, we'll have our uh, men's discipleship. You do not want to miss this. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And then also Wednesday, please remember Wednesday, uh, 7 o'clock for the next couple weeks, and then the first uh, Wednesday in September, uh, we'll be going to 6.30. But this Wednesday, Pastor Alex uh, Wilson will be continuing uh, his Bible study uh, on grace. It is more ma- amazing than you realize. And so you want to come and listen. Because how many know grace is amazing? I mean, when you, when you take the time to really consider the grace of God and the riches involved in that, it really is a powerful thing. And I, I really do believe that we need to continually, every day, remind ourselves of the grace of God that's at work in us. Amen? And just realize that uh, God is doing good things. And it's so good to see Dana here. Amen. Dana's here. Amen. She's out of the hospital and doing well. And here pretty quick, she's going to be running laps around the building. And so, and so we believe God's going to do a great thing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes of your time and share with you something that has been on my heart for a while. And what I mean by that when I say that, this is... I'm, I, I'm going to uh, minister to you what God has been speaking to me in my personal life. And I, 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 once again, I will tell you what I've told you many times before. Oftentimes, if you go back and look at the progression of sermons at any given church, at any given pastor, you're going to actually see in some ways a, a journal of what God is doing in that pastor. Uh, because a lot of times we, we are, we're, we get dealt with, God deals with us and he presses on us and he speaks to us and, and not only is it for the congregation, but oftentimes it really is something God is working out in that pastor or working through that pastor. And so this morning, this idea of pressing into God, and there's actually, a, I don't have it on, on the screen, but there's a subtitle, it's Pressing Into God, Finding Strength in your wilderness. How many have ever been in a wilderness before? I'm not talking about the wilderness we live in, the desert. I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking about a spiritual or emotional uh, wilderness where things are difficult and, um, and hard to get through. And so uh, uh, I want to share this with you because I really do believe there's a key in this uh, for not only for us as individuals and not only for us as, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, Uh, here in a minute, but not only for us as individuals getting through our wilderness, but I believe there's a key in this for where we are as a society. Where we are in the the scheme of things as far as all that's going on in the world. And I shared a portion of this message with several several of our men at the men's meeting that we had up in the Wallapais. If you remember a week or so ago, we had our last summer event up in the Wallapais. Many of you came out to that, and I shared a portion of this message with them. And so I just, I felt when I did that there, 
I really felt challenged that I needed to share this with the whole church. And so uh, that's what this is all about. And there's no doubt uh, this morning that we are living in very unsettling times. Some would even say very difficult times. And hell would have us to believe that this is the time to shrink back and to hide and to kind of batten down the hatches and ride out the storm. I think that's, I think that's the message of hell is that mess, the hell is saying, hey, you know, you guys need to calm down. You need to shrink back. You need to kind of just lay low. You need to fly under the radar. But I believe this morning that what God is saying to you and I is this is a time to press in to him to press into him, to pursue him diligently and passionately. And I believe in many ways this is the only answer to what we are facing as a country and as individuals. We are starting to see things in our society that are becoming very concerning, even at times shocking. And, you know, if, we, if you don't think that it's not hitting Kingman, I, I can guarantee you some of this craziness is starting to come into Kingman. I know that we're a small town and we're on the, kind of the backside of the desert, but we're starting to see some of these mindsets and some of these positions of the world coming into this place. And I think what it's done in some ways, it's put individuals under pressure and stress and 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 these this, these levels of stress are, 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 are that's pressure pressure and stress together. It's stretcher. That's, that, that's those two words put together. Uh, it, it's risen to new levels. It's, it's, people are, are, are genuinely mildly anxious. Can you say amen to that? And as we face these trials and tribulations and these dilemmas, not only as a nation but as individuals, the question is, what are we to do? What are we to do? And I will say it again, and again, in fact, just recently I read a verse to you that, very popular verse, but if we're not careful, we can pass by this verse and not really understand that this is the answer. Because it says in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I don't know that if in my lifetime, in the 55 years that I've been on the planet, there has been a more appropriate time, at least to my knowledge, of that verse. And we need that. But the key in this is, is, is this idea of seeking my face. There's a lot of things in here, this idea of being humble, to humble ourselves, to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, that, that, that my better idea is not going to really probably get the job done, to humble ourselves and say, I truly need God. I truly need him to move in my life and then seek his face and then turn from our wicked way. And, and you know what? So many times as, as Christians, we read stuff like that and we think, oh, that's not me. I'm not wicked. No, you're not. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But there is a turning that is necessary. And that's part of what this sermon is going to be about is because sometimes as Christians, it's easy to come to a place where we just 
phone it in, as it were, that we just kind of go on autopilot and just cruise through everything. And God is saying, I don't want you to do that. I want you to seek my face. Because in the end, pressing into God and seeking his face, sometimes, not, not sometimes, all the time, is really the only thing that we can do that will make any difference at all. And I know it is my opinion, but it is the consistent pattern of the Word of God. Whenever that people in the Word of God were in crisis, what we saw is that they would press in. And it could be that this pressing in could be quite possibly the action that will make everything else you do matter. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So let me ask you a question. Have you ever really, really, now I'm talking about really been hungry or have you ever really been thirsty? I'm, I'm not talking about the, the kind of little peckishness that Pastor Alex gets around about 10.30. I'm talking about you, you know, the, 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 the hangry. How, how many seen the commercials? You know, the one guy, he's, he's kind of like Joe Pesci, and he's just, you know, sarcastic and mean to everybody, and then somebody throws him a candy bar, and then he turns into himself again. You know, he's this nice guy. I'm not talking about that kind of hungry. And I'm not, I'm not talking about that, you know, you just need a little sip of something to wet your whistle. I, I'm talking about real hunger. I'm, I'm talking about real thirst, the kind that will consume your thinking. Most of us in the Western world would very rarely ever experience that kind of hunger because we have such an abundance. Listen to what I'm saying. For so long, we have enjoyed abundance. Can you say amen? amen? It's nothing for us to have a snack when we want to. Even when there's, how many have ever gone to your cupboard or your refrigerator, opened it up, it's packed with stuff, and you go, there's nothing in here. <laughs> the problem is what you're saying, what that's code for is there is food that I have to take and make into food that I can eat. But because I'm too, there you go, to make the food into food, there's nothing in here. How many know, you, you know what I'm saying? And so we, we've done that and we have such abundance. We, we have enjoyed for a long time unfettered freedom. Amen. We could do what we want, say what we want. In fact, <clears throat> it's come to a place where this idea of doing what you want and saying what you want is probably seeing the limits. You know, because in all honesty, there are some things you ought not to do and some things you ought not to say. Can you say amen? But we've enjoyed this, this freedom that much of the world would call extravagant abundance. But those days may be challenged in our future. See, there's a problem this morning with abundance. And you know what the problem with abundance is? Is that oftentimes it breeds neglect. It's, a, it's so much a part of our human nature. Listen to what I'm saying. See, when we have a lot of something, we tend to be wasteful. We tend to be disrespectful, careless, lazy, apathetic, casual, disinterested. When you have a lot of something, 
It's like, I don't matter. I got more. And where there is an abundance of something, it's so easy to become unresponsive to what, would, what we would have otherwise been excited about or our emotions would have been lifted by its presence. In the presence of abundance, we oftentimes become bored and complacent. It's kind of like what we feel right after a big Thanksgiving dinner. You know the feeling. You've just ate. I mean, you just packed it in. You've eaten six slices of apple pie and one slice of pumpkin just for measure. (laughs) Somebody comes up to you and says, do you want apple pie or pumpkin pie? And you go, yes. And that's after all the turkey gravy stuffing, you know, on and on and on, and you've eaten all this stuff. Now you're sitting bloated on the couch watching a football game that you think you know how to play in your bloatedness, going, man, if I was that quarterback, you, you're getting the feeling? And then somebody says, hey, how about turkey sandwiches? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you go, nah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not interested. Well, spiritually speaking, this morning, we got to guard against this very thing. See, we live in a world of spiritual abundance. No one is preventing us from worshiping. No one is preventing us from going to church. No one is preventing us from reading the Bible. Yet. And the danger that we face is in the presence of our abundance is that our pursuit of God becomes cool, passionless, lazy, Careless, casual. I've been captivated lately by the letters that Jesus had John write to the churches in the book of Revelations. In fact, I've even mentioned this before in a couple other sermons, and this, this is where you're start starting to see what God's speaking of. But the one letter that specifically God has me on is the church in Laodicea. It's the lukewarm church, and Jesus tells them, he says, write this to them. He says, in the midst of your service to me, you have become lukewarm. And the way they became lukewarm is because Jesus spells it out. He says, you're rich, but you, you think you have need of nothing. They literally had become intoxicated by their abundance. And he tells them, that they are standing at the door, or he is standing at the door knocking, waiting to come back in. And what this tells me this morning, it is possible to be a Christian and become passionless, flat, empty, nominal, and never know it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It tells me it's possible to relegate Jesus to the outside where he must ask again and again to re-enter our lives. And in these last days, it shouldn't be this way. Can you say amen? This is precisely how well-meaning Christians are lulled into the trap of hell. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I believe God is causing us or calling us to rise up and to press in. To press in deeper 
with passion. Listen to these words that Paul writes in Philippians 3, in verse 13 and 14. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He says, you know what? I'm going for this. Here's what God is saying. He says, I would rather that you be in or out. He goes, because I can really deal with you either way. But this, this, this cool, this halfway in, halfway out, you know what it is? It's a hollow chocolate bunny on Easter. It's the promise of a whole lot of good, but doesn't deliver. It's hollow Christianity is what it is. And, and God says, you know what? I would rather that you be red hot or I would rather that you be cold. He goes, I don't want you cold, but at least I know what to do about that. With you here, my hands are tied. Because you've got enough, just enough to make yourself feel like you got it. But not enough to make any difference. An essential trait for every Christian this morning is to press into God. We should never be satisfied. We should be content, but not satisfied. He said, what's the difference? You're just splitting hairs. No, no, no. Contentment means that, you know what? I'm in God. I'm content. I'm content where I'm at. If I have a lot, if I have little, I'm content with what I have, but I have not enough of God at any given time. I am never satisfied like I have gone far enough. I've gone deep enough into Him. No, you haven't. So look at our text, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. It says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I will lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. Let me read. Let me read the first two verses of this passage in the Passion Translation. It says this, O God of my life, I am lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. The context of this, see, the thing is, the context of this snapshot of David's life is at a time when he's being pursued by Paul. He's being hunted like a criminal. He's running for his life. He's homeless. He's displaced. He's a refugee. And he is desperately seeking a way out of this very dry, bleak, and desolate wilderness. He's hard-pressed on all sides. And he knows that he is in dire 
need. Now, you and I may not be in that place or that severe of a place. We live in an actual desert, but some of us have come to a place where we're like David. We know what he feels like because we've experienced tough spiritual seasons. You may know right now what it's like to experience a dry and desolate place spiritually. You know what it's like to feel all alone, to be at your wit's end. And David is at, this, at that place and he's tired and he's desperate. But instead of running away from God and blaming God, instead of shaking his fist at God, instead of giving up and having just a tantrum, David presses into God. And he finds the strength to carry on until breakthrough and deliverance come. The thing that I so despise in my own life is how easy I can shift over to blaming God for what I'm going through rather than pressing in deeper to him to see the breakthrough. I see that in my life. I see that propensity of me is that when things don't work out the way I think they ought to work out, as if I understand all. You know, I come to the grips about the Bible the other day. The Bible is a wonderful, rich book that we need to read daily. We need to, how does the, how does the, the Bible say it? It says that we need to desire it more than our necessary food. We need to feed from it daily. We need to study it. We, we, you know, and I, I, we don't need to read daily bread and then figure we got enough. We need, to, we need to find out. We need to live in it. Can you say amen? We need to, we need to hunger and, 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 and press into that word. And you know what? There's something about that. There's something about that place when we come to that place and we hunger for it. But I, I, I'm amazed at how often I think that I understand all that I need to understand about that book and then move on. But you know what the thing is about the Bible? The Bible really is snapshots. The Bible is kind of like looking through the photo album of heaven. There's a whole lot more than being, being said. Have you ever looked at somebody's photo album? They're, they go, hey, look, we want to show you the slideshow from our vacation. And you go, yay. <laughs> We only have 900 slides. We cut it back from 1,500. Thank you. Each picture telling a story, but the only people it makes sense to are the people that are living the picture because we always have random pictures of things that don't mean anything to us. Look at this tree. Oh, yeah, I've seen trees before. Nice tree. Wow. That's, I was looking, I was going through my pictures the other day on my iPad, and I got pictures. I got a million pictures of trees. Apparently, I didn't know this about myself. I like trees. 
I got trees from the front. I got trees underneath them, and I'm taking pictures up. I've even climbed a few trees and took pictures going down. I got trees that are falling. I've got trees in the petrified forest that have turned into rock. I got big trees, small trees. I got trees with leaves, trees with pine cones. I got trees with nothing. I got stumps. I got sticks. Apparently, I like trees. And apparently, it meant something to me at the time. But as I'm going through this, I'm going, why? What does this mean? What hidden secret is in this? What revelation is there there? And sometimes I think that we we look at the Bible like that. We, we start flipping through and we go, well, apparently God's upset about something. <laughs> or apparently God likes attention. I wonder if God's feeling a little insecure today. Why he wants us to worship him so much. We really need to encourage God. He's got a tough job. He's got to take care of about 7.8 billion people. And they're all nutty. We better, we better encourage him. And God's going, no, no, no. You're, that photo album's for you. That's to show you what you could become. I don't need any encouragement. I'm really good all by myself. You need to encourage me because when you encourage me, when you do that, when you press into me, something transpires, something is transferred from me to you that you can't get anywhere else. No place on the planet, no place in all of creation can get what you need unless you press in to me. And as we look at David here in this text, it was the only solution that would get him through the wilderness. And he made it quite clear that the answer to this thirsty, dry, troubled place is God and God alone. So what did David do in this time of dryness and weariness? How did David press in to God and find the strength in his wilderness? And how, more importantly, do we? His answer and solution is laid out in the eight verses of Psalm 63. And the first thing that we see in verse 1 is that he craved and hungered for more of God. In verse 1, David sets the stage for his pressing in. Oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. David begins with the key to it all. I earnestly search for you. Do you know what determines the level of passion in any given search? Is the value of that which is being searched for in the one who is searching. Have you ever looked for something, like a pen? And you went, oh, okay, I I don't know. I don't got a pen. Okay, remember, 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 remember. You know writing it down is going to be a lot better, but you don't have a pen. And furthermore, you don't have paper. You were going to write it on your hand. And so you don't have a pen, so you don't really care. Because if I forget, Kathy will remember. And so I really don't give a whole lot of effort to the search. But when I've lost something that's important to me, I'm bringing her into the search. You're good. No, no. 
get up. I know it's 3 a.m., but I'm looking for something, and we need it now. And usually we search and search and search, and after 20 minutes, she goes, do you really need scotch tape at 3 a.m.? Yes, it's important to me. This is what David's talking about. See, David said, you know what, God? You are the only thing that matters to me. You're everything. You are the only one with an answer. You're the only one that can change me. You're the only one that can get me out of this. And he describes that desire. He describes that search by saying he's passionate, he's diligent, he's enthusiastic, and he's chasing after God. And he is saying to us, that's what we've got to be. Can you say amen? Tommy Tenney said this in his book, The God Chasers. He said, God is just waiting to be caught by someone whose hunger has exceeded their grasp. Let me ask you this morning, do you hunger for him? Do you crave him? Do you want him more than anything else? Not more of the reward, not more of what he can do or what he brings, but more of him. Do you want him? Genesis 15.1 says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God is our reward. We need to seek him. We need to be passionate about him. We can't afford to say, Well, I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to wait. Our waiting and God's waiting are two different things. God does tell us to wait on him, but it's more like what a waiter does in a restaurant. It's serving. We get this idea, just sit back in the chair and God will show up one day. No, no, we need to press in. The second thing he says is thirst for God. David describes his hunger and he reveals his thirst. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. See, it's one thing to be hungry, church, but it's a whole nother matter to be thirsty. We can go weeks without food, some of us a lot longer, but we can only go a few days with no water. And our pursuit of God, our pressing into God, should be of that intensity of someone who desperately needs water. We are to drink from the unending fountain of who he is because he is all you need. Can you say amen to that? Do you remember when Jesus confronted the woman at the well? He asked her for water. She was amazed. She, does a Jew speak to a Samaritan? Unheard of. What's happening here? She's brazen, and she questions why he would ask such a thing from her. And Jesus responds to the one that's really thirsty. He responds not out of his thirst, but he responds out of her thirst. And he says the most amazing thing in John, 14, or John 4, 14. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become, a, become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. 
My concern for the church in these last days is that they've become malnutritioned and parched people, living inches from their supply. There's been so many stories. I was amazed as I was putting this sermon together. I was looking up stories. I didn't I didn't have time to put them in because there's other things I wanted to say, but I was amazed at how many stories of people who have died uh, uh, being out in the desert not having water, but how many of them died so close to water. They were just, some of them were feet away from the very thing that would save their life. And I am afraid in some ways that the church is that way. That if we're not careful we will literally die in sight of the very answer that we desire. Number three, we need to press into his presence. David learned the art of practicing the presence of God. He says, I've seen you in your sanctuary. It gazed upon your power and your glory. And David's day to come into the sanctuary was really about coming into the presence that we come into the presence. Church, every time we get together, every time we come to church, we have another opportunity in this place corporately to come into the presence. But you can't come into the presence without worship. He says, enter my gates with thanksgiving, my courts with praise. You can't come in empty-handed. Amen. And so somewhere along the line, you say, well, I don't often feel the presence of God. That's because you have not entered in. You're waiting. You're waiting to be pulled in. You won't be pulled in. You have to press in. You have to press in. You have to worship. Church, I can't tell you how important it is to worship that we worship. This is the thing that I feel like God's saying to me. There are moments when I'm in the prayer room and there's a list, a litany of things that I'm concerned about. There's all these things and names and things and stuff and, you know, stuff that's not done, things that need to be done, crises that I feel like I got to solve and problems I don't have answers for and on and on and on. I'm wanting so badly because I'm, you know, just kind of that way. I'm a list kind of guy. I tend to be OCD perfectionist. You know, I got this list and I got to finish my list list and I feel so strongly sometimes where God says, John, stop with the list. I know the list. Worship me, John. Worship me. Take the time to lift my name. Lift me up. Worship me. Because when you worship me, you get me. And when you get me, every answer to every problem and situation comes with it. Worship me. Worship me. We have to press in. Spending time in God's presence is fundamentally essential for the journey that we're on. If you don't spend time with a person, how can you get to know them? If you don't spend time with God, how can you expect to know him? When Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death, he desired to know Jesus, not from an informational sort of way, but he wanted him from an experiential way. Paul's desire was birthed from his dedication in spending time with the Lord. The more time Paul spent with the Lord, the more God revealed to him and the more he wanted to be in his presence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Spending time in God's presence is going to require discipline and desire. Everything in you must desire to be with him. 
Jeremiah 29, 13, listen. It says, and you will seek me and find me. When? You search for me with all your heart. All of it. One of the most wonderful things I've discovered as a Christian is that God is absolutely accessible. He is available. Every time. There are times, I'll be honest with you, there's times where I feel like I walk out of the prayer room and I haven't connected. But it hasn't been because God wasn't there. It hasn't been because God somehow was busy doing something else in Iraq or he was in Russia that day or maybe he was in the galaxy Andromeda taking care of problems there. I don't know. I, it wasn't that. God was there. But for whatever reason, but for whatever situation, I didn't press in. I allowed, what happens is I allow my thoughts. I allow my things, my, my problems, my questions, my my, my, my struggles to become more the focus than him. I need to set those aside, church. You need to set those aside. We set them aside and say, you know what? I'll deal with that here in about an hour. But right now, I'm going to worship him. Right now, I'm going to press into his presence. Right now, I'm going to press into him. Number four. We need to think and reflect on God. Finally, David says this. He says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I believe this is what made David the man that he was and fueled the worship of his heart. It's no secret that David was a difficult dude. I love the stories of David, man. He was not bashful. He, one day when his, him and his army wanted a little bit of food, he went to Nabal's farm and said, hey, we'd like something to eat. Please help us out. And Nabal was kind of an idiot. Not kind of. His name actually means fool. And Nabal rejected. says, I ain't feeding you. Go get lunch somewhere else, man. And David drew his sword. And if it wasn't for a Abigail, Nabal's wife, Nabal would have died that day. He did die a few days later. But one but at the hand of God, or at the hand of David. David was the kind of guy that would just, if he asked something of you, you didn't give it, he'd kill you and take it anyway. That's David. His hands were bloody. This is not a, a user-friendly guy. You know, we get this idea, idea of David because we read the Psalms that, oh, you know, he's just kind of like a, you know, he's a psalmstress. He, he gets up and sings quaint songs. No, he, he, David was the man. They didn't sing, you know, Saul killed thousands and David killed tens of thousands for nothing. When Goliath started running his mouth, even as a teenager, David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why are you all standing here doing nothing? I'll go out. Saul, so amazed, says, I'll give you my armor. He says, I don't need it. I haven't proven that. I haven't tested that in battle. But see this sling? It got me the lion and the bear, and it'll get me this dude too. 
I've done that. See, David was a man's man. He, he was strong. There was something about him. But you know what made him the man that he was? The reason that he had the epitaph of that he was a man after God's own heart is because David spent time. He would meditate on God, and out of that meditation came these revelations we call the Psalms. And it drew him into the presence of God. David was a violent man. David didn't have a problem dancing in the street in his underwear. He's he's all that. But what made him the man that he was, it, it gave him the epitaph that gave him the legacy that allowed his throne to last forever is because he knew his God. And that's all that God wants. Look at church, let me just, uh, let me say this as I, yeah, I'm, I'm done, I'm closing. Let me say this. If you're sinning in this place today, stop it. Now that we got that out of the way. God is less freaked out about sin than he is concerned about you being in his presence. <laughs> that, it even hit my religious bones, so I know it had to hit some out there. Because I'm going, (laughs) does that mean that we can just run amok in sin? Heaven's sakes, no. Please do not get that from that. What it means is, is God would rather that you be a sinner chasing after him than be religious ignoring him. We need him, church. I don't know if there's anyone that can tell us where we are in the timeline. I mean, we have all of our predictions and our estimations, and we can get a fairly good view, and we we have these feelings and stuff, but this ain't the first rodeo for the world. But wherever we're at, it's quite possible that we're going to face something where we're really going to need God to get through. And the verse I told the men the other day, the verse that seems to hinder me is, is if we can't run with the footmen, how are we going to run with the horsemen? And church, if we're not willing, see, I, I remember, does anybody here remember the big three, the movies, the big three? You know, um, you know I can't even remember their name. Thief in the Night, Image of the Beast, all those movies. You remember, you remember the yellow clock and, you know, the rapture and all that. We'd watch those movies and people, would, I, people actually would say, I, I think I'm supposed to not go in the rapture. What? Why would you say that? No, I'm supposed to be here. I need to be a witness. You know, I'm going to be a witness. to. But you're not living for God now. So when they're threatening to cut your head off for living for God, how, how do you live for God in the struggle when you can't live with him? in the peace. And I'm not saying anybody's sitting here, but what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you contrast. I'm trying to say, look at this is a time right now where we actually have an opportunity to press in. We have the opportunity to say, God, I want more of you. And you know what? It's, un, it's unhindered. We can get more of him. And he'll come. And he'll be there. But there may, I don't know, there may not. 
But there may come a day. There may come a day when we can't. We can't meet like this. There may come a day when we wish, we wish we just had a guitar. Who knows? I don't know. There may come a day when they, the Bible becomes hate speech. And they don't allow you to study it. What will we do then? Right now, we can have all of him we want. Let's get all of him we can. Can you say amen? Come bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. God, and I just thank you, God. I thank you so much for the word that you've given us, God. I thank you, Lord, that you take the time to reveal to us, God, what you're thinking. God, that you're communicating to us to press in. And Father, no matter what happens, whether good, bad, or in between, if we're pressing in, we're, you're t- you'll take care of us. It's golden. We're, we're okay. Father, because the more we get of you, the better off we are in any situation. So the only way to truly win in every situation is to press into you, to find our strength in you in the wilderness. And Father, I just pray that you help us to encourage us and strengthen us. Father, I pray, God, that you would birth within us, God, a desire. God, birth within us that insatiable desire of more of you. More of you. God, make us hungry, I pray. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And I wonder, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, I'm not right with God. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Would you lift it up all across this place and say, amen, I see that hand. Someone else today, amen, you can put it down. Someone else, amen, I see that hand. Would you all pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Would you be my Lord and Savior? I give you my life and I receive your life in return. Help me to live for you, in Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you, if you, for those of you that raised your hand or if you didn't raise your hand, if you prayed that prayer, then, then this is the beginning. This is the start of a wonderful new life. Now, we're, our, our ministry team is gonna come right now and they're gonna be up front. And if any of you that raised your hand would like to know more about this or would like somebody to pray with you, just come on up, have one of these uh, uh, come to you or come to one of them. They'll minister to you. They'll pray with you. Let's all stand to our feet real quick. And we're going to release you today. God bless you. You guys have a great, wonderful uh, Sunday afternoon. Next week, God's going to be off the hook next week. So come on back. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.